Good morning, family. Oh, thank you. My prayer leading into today and leading up to today is that we would just feel like family and that we would connect. So um, thank you for that. Good morning. Uh, Yes, I am Amber Field, part of the Renaissance family since maybe about a a month after Renaissance had its first service. And it's my blessing to be with you all today. So let us take a moment to pray together before we get into the word. Father God, how mighty and awesome you are that your blood will never lose its power. Father God, we thank you that you have woken us up today, whether we are in this space physically or we are watching from afar. Lord, would you remove any barriers or obstacles and that all that we can see is you and feel you in our hearts as you bring a word to us this morning. Father, we thank you that there is just no other place that we get to be than in your house. Ah, Lord. Whatever word is heard, whatever word comes out of my mouth this morning, would it be yours alone? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so since we said we're family and we're going to connect, that connection comes from honesty. And so I'm going to tell you all a bit of a confession that I have that this week I decided to wear a sweatshirt from Nike and a pair of Under Armour sweatpants. Now, for some of you, you were like, I would absolutely never do that. And some of you were like, that's not a big deal, right? But for me, I needed the sweatshirt, I needed the pants, and I thought twice about going outside with both of those pieces on because labels matter, don't they? Yeah, right? There was a company that decided to put its label on those pieces of clothing. And they can do that. The thing or the company that makes the thing gets to decide what it is called and gets to put its name on the item. That's what it's there for. And for those of you who are fans of Apple products, soon I'm sure there will be another phone coming out. And then Apple will decide on its items, and there will be an iPhone 14, an iPhone, a a Pro Max, the Pro Mini, the Mini, the XE. There will be the regular iPhone, right? All of those names will be given to those items, and the company can do that because it is telling that item what it does and who it is. That makes sense. And so... We understand that, that a company can name the thing that it makes. But I want us to start off with a question for all of us today, a question that when we look into our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to tell us and show us what it is we need to understand, that this question could change our lives today. Who do you allow to label you? Who gets to tell you who you are and what you do? You see, labels, they have a a way of assigning us value. They determine what it is that we get to do and whether or not we are relevant. They tell us what our purpose is. Last week, my family and I went up to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, and we were able to watch a movie about a famous baseball player. His name was Willie 
Mays Aikens. And I want us to be clear, not Willie Mays, but Willie Mays Aikens. And in the 80s, he was a very well-known World Series home run hitting baseball player. Yet in the 90s, he was incarcerated for selling crack cocaine. And he ended up serving 14 years of a 20-year sentence. And during that time that he was imprisoned, he changed his life around. He found a relationship with God, and he decided that when he got out, things would be different. And that's exactly what he did. He got out, he, re, um, he reestablished his relationship with his family, and the number one thing that he had been planning and deciding on was that he was going to get back into baseball. And so what he did was he went up to the team, the team um, owner, and he said, I have a plan. I want to be a hitting coach for the Royals. And the team manager, the team owner said, no. Nah. But Aikens persevered. He began to share his story with young people and athletes, and he even met with Congress to tell them about the unfair laws that seem to affect black people more than most. And uh, he has since joined the Royals team as a support on their leadership development team, and he helps their young players in their journey to become pro athletes. Now, can you imagine if Aikens had let the label that the owner and society had placed on him dictate his step and his place in life? I mean, if you were to look into his life and get to see what he's done so far since that time, it would have been a travesty if he had walked away that day and said, you know what, never mind. I am who they say I am. But that's not what he did. And I ask us this morning, like, wouldn't it be a shame if we were to accept the labels and the identities that are placed on us from someone or something other than what God tells us we are? You see, in a lot of ways that happens, though. And we tend to accept our circumstances in life as the labels that we allow to be placed over us. I mean, we tend to look at our circumstances in the wrong way, and we begin to see those circumstances so clearly, and we focus on those so much that we lose sight of our magnificent God in the midst of those situations. And one of those situations in particular, one of those circumstances that does a nice job of shifting our focus away from our father is in the way that we experience money, right? Whether we have it or whether we do not, money tends to tell us something about who we are and what label we place on ourselves. And what we're going to see today is that God doesn't want that, doesn't want money to be the thing that defines us. 
And my hope is that for everyone here in this space together, or whether you are watching from home, whether you feel like you have everything you have ever wanted, or that you feel like you have nothing, or you find yourself somewhere in between, that you would understand, we would understand together in this space this morning, how our Father sees us. And so I want us to get a right view of ourselves today and our standing with him. Now, as you know, we're in the series of James, and James gives explicit directions for believers about how we can live out our faith and how we can walk as Christians. And some consider James to be the in-your-face, no-holds-barred, apostle who's gonna shoot it to you straight. And his letter, as you'll see, we've read so far, and as we continue to study it, James sends this tone of, if you're going to be a Christian, then be a real one. And so let's look at what it takes to be a real one this morning. And we're gonna get into scripture. Would you join me, please, in James 1, verses 9 through 11? And you can watch on the screen. You can open up your Bibles. Let's see what James has to say. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up with the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away pursuing his activities. Now, in this case, James is speaking to both people who were struggling financially and those who were financially secure. He's speaking directly to both groups of Christians. And at that time when he wrote this, you either lived in extreme wealth or extreme poverty. There was a great divide in the, in the, in, at that time. But as a part of the church, James is saying there's no space for that divide. We define, we are one body. We are one people. And we know that then and even now in the world, people in need are looked down upon and the well-off are the ones who are esteemed, right? So here's what James is doing in this scripture. He's fixing everybody's views as it pertains to their identities in Christ. And he does this by flipping the script. And he says it's the ones with little who are called to boast because they are defined by almighty God and not the dollar. And then he says, and those with much then they are called to humiliation because they're going to eventually lose everything they have accumulated on this earth anyway. And so what we can see and begin to look out for ourselves is that whether positively or negatively, our circumstance has no bearing on how we are to see ourselves as individuals. We are to see what God sees. And so his eye, right? We gotta understand what is God's eye on? God's eye is not on what is in your wallet. His eye is on what is in your heart. 
So in verse 9, let the brother of humble circumstances, and directly he's saying, if you're broke and you got no money, I'm talking to you. He's saying, boast in his exaltation. James is saying, you are not to focus on what you do not have, but we actually get to have excessive pride. We get to go over the top with who we are when we have nothing. We are elevated. We are in a high position. So let me just say what most of us are thinking here. I was talking to a friend before the service, and she was like, are you going to tell me, what are you going to tell me about what to do with no money? How am I supposed to deal with that? And that's what we're all thinking, right? Because being broke doesn't sound like anything to brag about. And it can be humiliating. Because it's scary not to know where your next um, meal is going to come from. It is scary and so unsettling to not know how you are going to meet your needs. And believe me, there is nothing less that I am doing and that we are understanding and that James is saying that to say that is something that we would dismiss. I'll tell you, when I first moved to the city, and I actually needed to live in Jersey because I couldn't afford to live in Manhattan, um, after college, I was a, it was my first year as a teacher in the New York City public schools. And so my lunch that year consisted of the 50-cent oat and honey green granola bar. Y'all know that granola bar in the bodega, right? You know that one, okay? That was my lunch every single day. Because it was all I had. And I sat with a group of teachers every single day. And I remember one of the teachers one day, he looks at me, he was like, I'm tired of you looking, I'm tired of watching you eat that granola bar every day. (laughs) And he slid the other half of his sandwich over to me. And you know what? I ate that sandwich. (laughs) And it was good. (laughs) And I was embarrassed. Right? (sighs) James isn't saying that we are to boast in that worldly, embarrassed, humiliating situation. Here's the big idea that James wants us to get. It's that our finances and the things we have do not define us. And it has nothing to do with anything that we can even bring to the table. Everyone that's sitting in our space together, whether you are at home right now, you might have not one penny in your pocket. And you might see yourself right now in this moment. You might be struggling because you might think you are the lowest of the low and that you are feeling invisible in this world. Recently, I was on the C train, and as we pulled into 116th Street, a man gets on the train, and he begins to walk up and down the aisle, and his hand is out, and he is asking, he's seeking his somebody to give him some money. And then as he's doing that, and no one is helping, he was saying, doesn't anybody see me? Do you see me? And now I know that some of you are sitting in this space right now or watching and you are thinking that you feel the same way. 
But James is after us to have a faith that understands and knows that our label and who we are is not dependent on those external circumstances. Our label, family, comes from our identity in Christ. As children of God, he is our creator. And it is God who gets to say, who you are, and what you do. That is the only label that tells you your value, that tells you your purpose, that tells you that you are relevant. And it is in our relationship with Jesus that gives us our high position. You know, Jesus wants us to know you've already been blessed. You've already been loved. We have done nothing to attain it. He's already given us all that we need. And through scripture, there are some beautiful examples of what it is that God wants us to, to, to know about who we are, right? Can we look at, we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then in Ephesians 2, 6, it says, and God raised up with Christ. He raised us up with Christ and sealed us up with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians 1, 3, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are the recipients of all of the blessings and the privileges of being a child of God. You, family, you, we, we are already exalted in the kingdom of heaven. You can't get any higher than that. There is nothing on this earth that can tell you who you are more than what Jesus has already said and done for you. And Jesus tells us this in Luke 6.20 when he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus there neither is blessing poverty, because let me tell you, poverty can also be a curse as it is a blessing, Right? Jesus is speaking to his disciples because they have left everything behind. They have nothing. And he is saying, rely on me. Rely on God. I have everything you need. And for us, our circumstances dictate our need to rely on God as well. Now, after I've had quite a a journey with my career. And after my second round of taking a break from work, I had $12,000 of credit card debt and a plummeting credit score. Nothing will humble you like a bill you can't pay. And when we are in that situation, there is a natural need to rely on God in those moments when we have nothing. 
And James says in this position, when we get to fully rely on God because we know we have nothing else, that is the blessing. Now, on the other hand, we know that James is speaking to the financially secure believers. For those of us who, instead of zeros, there's a one in front of that zero. Okay? But you know what? James has the same message for those with a lot that he does with those who have little or nothing. He's saying your self-worth is not determined by your net worth, right? And James then tells them, let's, let's, we can go back and, and look at this again in verses 10 and 11, in your humiliation because he will, or excuse me, James tells them to boast in your humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind uh, dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. And so what he's saying here, family, is that no matter how much you have right now on this earth, one day it will all fade away and you are going to leave it behind. We all go out with what we came in with. I recently heard a story about a wealthy man. He had everything. And he was dying. And so he looks at his family, he looks at his wife, he's like, I know I'm dying, but I'm taking everything with me. Okay? So as he gets closer to his um, imminent end, he, he packs everything up. He gets his paintings, he's got um, his clothing, he has all his worldly goods and possessions, and then he puts them in the attic above his bed because his vision is like, ah, as I go up to heaven, see, all this stuff is just going to come with me, right? And so he's on his deathbed, and he takes his last breath, and then his family, who had been surrounding him, they shoot up to the attic. They get up to the attic, and they look around. Everything is still there. And they turn, they look at his wife, and she says, I told him to put it in the basement. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we live that way, though, right? Don't we think and do some really um, outrageous things to maintain our wealth? Because we're convinced that the things of this world and the, the things in it matter so much that that is the thing that we will do. But James says, these things are temporary. The money, the status, the cars, your homes, your vacations, your looks, all of those things are going away. But here's the thing I think, family, that we struggle with. I think we know that. I am 100% sure none of you are going to pack up your things and bring them up to heaven with you. But it's not how we act. We don't act like we know that to be true. And we have to get this right. We have to live in a way that we're placing things in their right perspective. The psalmist in uh, Psalm 90 verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. 
And so in other words, when we live with the view that the things we hold are temporary, then we get to live more wisely with them, right? And then if we put those things in their proper place, then we can lift up the things that actually have value and importance, like our relationships with each other and like our relationship with God. Be clear. Of course we're not saying that money is the problem, right? We need it. We need it to live, to eat, to survive. And when we look through scripture, we get to see how God often worked through those who were very well financially off, like Abraham. But Jesus sets us, sets us straight on, on, on what he's saying here. He's saying, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for he either will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so here in these scriptures, James talks about the various circumstances of money. And as he talks about tests and trials, there's a reason why he sets it up that way. As it was then and as it is right now, doesn't our experience with money present this really ripe opportunity for us to seek God's wisdom? And it allows us, this relationship we have with money, to mature in our relationship with God. And what James wants us to see, right, is that when we're doing, all, doing really well financially, we tend to think, oh, wait, well, I, don't, I don't need God. I got this. I can pay for that. I'm secure. I'm provided for. I'm provided for myself. Why do I need God? And, and even when we're struggling financially, then we get proud and we get resentful of God. And we think that he's left us behind and forgotten about us. And so then we leave him behind. Whether we have or we have not, what happens through money often is that our relationship with God gets distorted. And in Proverbs 30, verses, uh, verse 8 through 9, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And you see, God is in the midst of our situations right now, and he is trying to bring us back to him. And I want us to examine our hearts right now and let the Holy Spirit remind us who we are in Christ. And I want us to think for a moment about whether or not we are letting money define us. And so what that might look like is that it dictates our personal value instead of realizing that our value comes from Christ. See, when you have nothing or you've had a recent breakup or you've lost your job and you didn't get the promotion that you were planning on, it's easy to assign your worth to that. But our value is not like the stock market. It doesn't fluctuate based on our worldly trends and no amount of money could pay the price anyway. We know that Jesus was the only one who could pay the price and he did that on the cross. He didn't pay it with cash. He didn't use cryptocurrency. He paid the price with blood. 
Christ's death and resurrection set our value as eternally priceless. And so for those of us who are spending our time trying to add worth and prove our value, who or what can do what Jesus has already done for you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Let us join the psalmist David in verses 139 and 14 who says that. One of my favorite pastors, he says, our faith in Jesus means we get to live free from the lie that having more of something makes us something more. And so we can also examine our hearts to see the extent to which we feel secure because we are to feel secure in Christ. When Jesus said it was finished, he means we are secure. The price for sin was paid, and we get to rest in our eternal security with him. And lastly, it dictates how we treat people, because we love, because he loved us first. Remember, we need to get a right view of ourselves, and that means we need a right view of each other. We are the same. We are humble children of God. And there is not one of us who is more or not one of us who is left and less. And so we cannot covet the wealthy, nor do we look down on our neighbors in need. Our love for each other is how we fully experience the love of God. And so what do we do with all that? How do we get to be real ones like James tells us to be? Our circumstances, family, do not define us. They are an opportunity to live out our identity in Christ. And so we can be comforted when we need to be comforted. And we can be tested as we need to be tested. In James 4, verse 4, James said, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So here are a few steps that we can do in our work to grow in Christ-likeness. Number one, adjust your view. See yourself as God sees you. Now, I am not saying that we need to have guilt for having a lot, and I certainly am not saying that we need to experience self-loathing and resentment for not having enough. We need to all let go of the pride of self-reliance. Be bold in your high position family and be humble as a servant of God. And then we can examine, number two, what opportunities your circumstances give you to live out your identity in Christ. Seriously, look at those specifics. Some of us, you, maybe you just hit 10,000 or 100,000 followers on your Instagram page. Great. Because the advertising offers are going to start rolling in. Maybe you finally paid off your student loans. Maybe you were hoping to secure a job by now. But it hasn't come yet. And the two months of savings you had is gone. He is working in all of that 
if we let him. Hebrews 13, 21 says, May the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. And lastly, let us take action. I got one more story for you. There was a wealthy man, and he was new to faith, and he was excited, and he decided, I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to become a missionary. I'm going to move out and go and do the work of God. And so he goes, and he um, ends up in a community where he needs to build homes. And when you are in a, a missionary, you tend to have humble circumstances as a part of your experience. And he gets there, and he's slow, and he's clumsy with the tools, and he just honestly sets back the work. It makes that, as you can imagine as a missionary, really difficult to build the relationships you need to build to do what you set out to do. And so the other missionaries, they saw the spark in him begin to fade, and they said, hey, you know, it's possible that this isn't for you. Now, we know you're here to be a blessing, but did you ever consider how much you could be a blessing? by supporting dozens of missionaries. And that's what he did, family. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. We're called to steward or to look after our blessing. And that means to use them for God's glory and to help others. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And I think that this applies to those of us who have little as well. Do we, in our most hurtful and desperate circumstances, step out on faith and ask for help? I know that some of us are struggling right now in this moment, and we get to be reliant on Jesus. We get to let God show you what God does and how good he is. And so I invite you to come down for prayer after service today, and our prayer team can connect you with one of our deacons, or maybe you want to stop by the lounge where our pastors and our deacons are, and maybe you know what, because we said it may be humiliating and you may be embarrassed, you can email grace at renaissancenyc.com, and a deacon will get back to you within 24 hours. Family, our circumstances don't define us. We are children of God, and he wants us to experience his mighty hand in our lives. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let us pray. Father God, it's so easy to let labels define who we are, but would you just remind us that we have the only label that matters on us already? Lord, would you tell that to those of us who are struggling to pay our bills, that even though we may have little, we have you? And Lord, would you please bless those who have much? Would you put it on their hearts to be a blessing and to use the blessing that you have given them with others to glorify your holy name? We are children of God, and we love you. Amen.